So this is Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 11. Promised rest for God's people. And I'm reading from the um, New Living Translation. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know that it we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Now reading from the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it is pleased it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning again. Um, so today we're going to be looking into the life of Jesus and focusing on the way of waiting. As you probably expect, um, you're just going to have to wait until we get there. Now, I asked you a question this morning. I'm going to ask it again. How are you? It's an easy question. It's a common question. Um, it's actually a question that I asked a few people this morning um, before church, and I um, tallied the results. So when I asked a few people, um, how are you, um, I got a range of answers. I got um, not bad, well, okay. Tired, hungry, that was my daughter, who's four. Um, yeah, I got two, 
all rights, and I got eight goods. Okay? Just think, think about those thoughts. Now, the word good is, is like the four-letter word that they banned weather announcers from saying a few years ago. Does anyone know what that word is? Fine. You will not hear a, a weather presenter say the word fine anymore because what does fine mean? Fine has, it's, it's, doesn't have a meaning. It's kind of that, uh, it could be good, uh, it's hard to say. Same with good. It is the answer that we've sort of um, practised ourselves into saying as an answer to how are you. Good is kind of the, I don't want to go on with this conversation or I don't really want to delve into it or I can't think of something right now. That's what good means. I think if most of us had a bit of a real think and we kind of answered that question really properly, one of the two sort of answers that I think would come out of a majority of people is tired and busy. Does anyone kind of feel that? Are you tired? Are you busy? I know I am. And it's usually both together as well. Because busyness is the culprit for tiredness. So, busyness. Why is it such a thing in our day and age? Um, In the early 1900s, um, the six-day, ten-hours-a-day work week was a common thing. Um, By the 1960s, that sort of evolved into the nine-to-five, Monday-to-Friday that we're used to. Um, But why? Why did it change? Um, the, the biggest reason for this is actually the um, technological developments um, of the 1900s, which um, saw the development of labour-saving um, devices. In 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee in America, and they observed the changes from the early 1900s to the 60s, and based on their findings, they said that by the year 1985... Um, technology will continue to advance so much so that it will make our lives better and better. And the result of this was that the average American would work an average of 22 hours a week and retire by the age of 38. Who thinks to themselves and go, oh, if only? Wow. But here we are, 50 years later. How come that prediction didn't come to pass? Was the nine to five and the retire when you're 60, 65, 70, 75, was that just the limit? Was that what we were supposed to do? Or maybe did technology just not progress fast enough to keep up with it? I would argue that that's definitely not the case. Like, we're at this point in history that if you want to, you can use AI to do so much stuff for you. We have um, dishwashers. They wash your dishes. We have clothes. I mean, not everyone has, but there's clothes dryers. There's cars that are faster and safer. There's actually really good public transport. We um, have so many jobs that have been able to be cut down on time based on the fact that people are working from home more. And I haven't even mentioned computers. I want you to think about the life of someone in the early 1900s, a worker, And think about all the time they could have saved through modern technology. We're still really busy though, aren't we? So where did that time go? 
Um, before we look at how we use our own time, I think it's good to take a peek into the way that Jesus and his disciples use their time. Jesus is, after all, the ideal, the one whom we should model ourselves on in any and every way um, and every facet of our lives. So Jesus lives simply. He spent time with his friends and his followers. He often rested and he never hurried. Jesus was the master of time and he knew how to best use it. But more on that later, you're going to have to wait. Now, if you were to draw a circle and this circle represents your time, a standard 24-hour day, and then you were to portion it into the things you do. So let's see, how much of your day would you spend sleeping? Let's say eight, let's, eight hours? That's about a quarter, right? A third, third, eight, sixteen, yeah, third. Okay. Music, not maths. Okay, so there we go. That's sleep time. How would you portion the rest of your time? Or how do you portion the rest of your time? Work, yeah, that's going to be a big chunk for a lot of people. I want you to think about how much time you would spend at work, how much time you would spend thinking about work as well, because that's work still. How about doing jobs around the house, looking after your kids, which, for those of you who don't have kids, is definitely work. (laughs) And on the flip side, how much time do you spend in prayer? reading your Bible, going for walks, not exercise walks, like just walking to enjoy nature or to appreciate things. The other question I have for you is, when you look at that circle of how your life is segmented, what would you change if you could? How would you change the portioning? We're in an epidemic right now, an epidemic of a busy life. And... I don't think it's necessarily one of our own personal making. It's a product of a society that wants us to keep moving and, more importantly, wants to keep us distracted. And I think we're in a disaster of distraction. There's so much going on in our lives, our communities, our nation, our world, and it might as well be dressed in like a fluoro clown costume and dancing right in front of us. Have you all heard about goldfish? What are, what are goldfish known for? Gold colour. They're oh, gold colour. I'd say they're more orange, actually. You kind of look and go, that's not that gold. But they have a really short memory. Okay? I don't, it might be a myth. There's been some studies. It's, I don't know how they study a goldfish's memory. Do they get them to write a survey after something? But one thing about goldfish is... They have really short attention spans, probably linked to the memory thing. Um, They've done studies, and does anyone want to guess how many seconds a goldfish's attention lasts for? Eight, close. Three, no, eight is closer. Lower. Higher. Higher. Lower. Nine, thank you. A goldfish has a nine-second attention. Guess what? Humans used to have a much higher attention span than goldfish. But over the last few decades, studies have shown that has been dropping. We are now at 8.2 seconds 
goldfishes have a better attention span than we do. So, for most of you, um, welcome to the sermon. You haven't missed much. Um, I'll try and provide some interesting tidbits every eight seconds so that it keeps you engaged. Now, this is an average. Some of us will have a much higher attention span than others. I know I've got a really low attention span. If I'm not engaged in something, my mind just goes elsewhere immediately. Um, I think I get that from my dad. <laughs> um, and if you don't think you're distracted enough in your life... Um, there's a few things you can try. Um, so if you want your focus on a particular task to drop by 30%, just re- receive eight texts every hour. Try to cut down on your sleep because if you get less than five hours of sleep at night, you'll be functioning at the same level as someone with a mild hangover. And finally, if you ever find yourself in a state of working really well, you've got the flow going. If you get distracted suddenly, it'll take you 23 minutes to get back to that same level of flow. These are real statistics. But why is attention so important? Well, it's simple. Our love can be seen by what we show our attention to, and vice versa. If we love something, we need to show it our attention. I want you to think of a marriage. If you never spoke a word to or listened to or made any effort to share your life with your wife or husband, the obvious assumption would be you didn't love them. How how can you maintain a relationship of any sort with someone who you don't pay attention to in any way? Now when you think about your relationship with God, sure, we come to church, we sing some songs saying we love him, um, and then we can sometimes be that absent partner during the week. We don't pay attention to what God's doing in our life. Is our attention being pulled away from God by the world that we live in? Who here has a smartphone? And who here has an iPhone? Get it? Because iPhones aren't that smart. The androids are the superior race. Um, now, these, these things are wonderful horrible things. Um, And how incredible is it that you can think to yourself, huh, I want to learn how to cartwheel. And in a second, you can have millions of videos and articles and guides on how to do a cartwheel. You might not be able to do it, but the information's there. Who here has Facebook on their phones or WhatsApp? Now, there was a recent study done, and by recent, it was about a year ago, so, you know, things might have changed by then. Um, It showed that the users of Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, Instagram, Instagram, and TikTok, those five apps, spent a combined average of 92.7 hours a month on them. Think about that, 92.7 hours a month. That's just under four days every month on those five apps, and that's average. Every month. (laughs) Just YouTube alone accounts for 23.7 hours a month, one day a month, for the average person on YouTube. Now, I'm not saying that as a fear monger. I I don't want you to go and chuck out your phones and go, oh, we're going to live like, um, uh, what's it called? 
the, the Amish, yeah. We're not going to go out and, and do that. I, I think what they, some of the stuff they do is wonderful. But I just want you to think about where your attention is directed. This is not supposed to be a guilt trip. But I want you to, sh- to show that there is hope in this reality that we live in. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I really like how the words that Jesus says there in John 15 um, echo what we heard earlier about the story of the easy yoke. If we come alongside Jesus, we can bear fruit. If we join with him, we can find rest. But what does joining with Jesus look like? Now, I don't want to assume that everyone knows what a yoke is, but so a yoke was uh, a device that kept two cattle together. So it's like this big thing that went over their necks and held them together so that they would work together. Um, It was designed to help share the load. It was designed to help guide. Um, And if you think about this image of Jesus offering us a yoke, it's, it's a working instrument, isn't it? So he's offering us this thing designed to help us work as a form of rest. But doesn't that feel a little bit like a burden? Why can't Jesus offer us a spa voucher or a holiday down south? Wouldn't that be a better form of rest? But see, that form of rest is escape. And Jesus doesn't offer us escape in this sense. His rest is not one that avoids all of the life, all of the responsibilities, all of the expectations that we're given. His rest comes in the middle of it all. Dallas Willard is a fantastic um, a writer and he, he explored the idea of that simple yoke and what that means to be connected and joined with Jesus. And the idea is that we've already got this work to do. No matter what, we've got work. That's just a part of life. But by joining with Jesus, it means that we can move at his pace. It means that we can take time and patience to focus our attention. Now, we heard in um, Hebrews just before about the Sabbath. Now, um, the Sabbath is a gift from God. I, I don't want to go into it because to go into the Sabbath, that's, a, that's huge. There's so much there, and Luke has already spoken about it a lot um, in previous sermons. But um, it says in Genesis 2 that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had been done, that he had done. God rested and God waited. What would it look like for you to take the Sabbath seriously? I've been wrestling with this for a few weeks now, um, particularly because when it comes to teaching, um, by the end of a term, you get exhausted. All the teachers in the room are going, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it gets tough. You have all these ideas and great things and so much energy when it comes to the start of the term, but that 10 weeks just kind of drags on and on and on until you're just tired. 
And so I've been reflecting a lot on what could my Sabbath be? How can I rest so that I can continue going? Does Sabbath mean taking a time where you just don't look at emails? Maybe turning off your phone. When was the last time you turned off your phone for a day? I can't think of a time. That's terrifying. What if, what if something amazing happened? What if something crazy happened? What if, I don't know, I wanted to order something from Uber? You, it's, it's, it's scary. What if just Sabbath is just spending more time focusing on your family? Or setting aside time to do something that brings you life, brings you joy. I've got this grand idea I've told Annalise about of if we ever win lottery, I want to spend my days painting the sky. Just because every day you look up. I mean, today's a bad example because it's all blue. But clouds, sunrises, sunsets, it's always different. There's always so much. And to be able to just sit there and paint would be amazing. Sabbath is all about waiting. It's all about abiding. Time with God, time away from the work. Um, now, I've got a clip to show you. Uh, before we show it, I, I rested a little, little bit with showing this clip because it's from a TV show that is not appropriate for church. But this clip is mm, its heretical probably a little bit, no, a big bit, but... I think it illustrates a point of how Jesus used time, how Jesus knew time, how God is the total control of time and how we need to see time a bit differently. So please enjoy this. this. (laughs) The three days rule is insane. I mean, who even came up with that? Jesus. Don't do this, not with Jesus. Seriously, Jesus started the whole wait three days thing. He waited three days to come back to life. It was perfect. If he'd have only waited one day, a lot of people wouldn't have even heard that he died. They'd be all, hey, Jesus, what up? And Jesus would probably be like, what up? I died yesterday. And then they'd be all, uh, you look pretty alive to me, dude. And then Jesus would have to explain how he was resurrected and how it was a miracle. And then the dude would be like, uh, okay, whatever you say, bro. Wow, ancient dialogue sounds so stilted now. Then he's not going to come back on a Saturday. Everybody's busy doing chores, working the loom, trimming their beards. No, he waits the exact right number of days Three. Okay, I promise. I'll wait three days. Just please stop talking. Plus, it's Sunday, so everyone's in church already. They're all in there. Oh, no. Jesus is dead. Then, bam, he bursts through the back door, runs up the aisle. Everyone's totally psyched. And FYI, that's when he invented the high five. Three days, Tim. We wait three days to call a woman because that's how long Jesus wants us to wait. True story. (laughs) Okay, so obviously none of that is true. But what is true is Jesus waited the perfect number of days, didn't he? It wasn't because of the reasons Barney suggested, not at all, but it was the perfect time. Would things have been different if Jesus was immediately resurrected? Possibly. 
how about if you waited three years? Possibly. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is something we can't understand, but it's there. Jesus is the master of time. Because of his ability to wait, he trusted that God the Father would work through him, and all he needs to do is focus his attention and wait on the Lord. He knew that we would be busy, distracted, and tired. And so we've got instructions on how to wait, how to be patient, how to spend time abiding and in, in league with Jesus. I want to finish today with some words from Ecclesiastes. Um, they're pretty common. You would have heard them before. And it's an encouragement that um, even though it may not seem like there are enough hours in the day, when we wait on God, he gives us all the time we need. So Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for each activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time.